the NFL trade deadline has come and gone. It's just me this week, so we're going to get into that and a whole lot more this week on Iceman and Coach. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Iceman and Coach. It is just Matt Freights, the Iceman, this week as the coach is taking a much-needed and well-deserved vacation somewhere here in the continental United States. I want to welcome everybody to the show this week and thank everybody for tuning in. We obviously have College Kickoff Eve this week coming up, and that's going to be me solo, hopefully with some guests. But this week, we're going to talk about some stuff And we have quite a bit on the docket. The NFL trade deadline has come and gone. And so there's a lot to break down. I'll be honest with you. We really haven't talked about the NFL all that much on the show. With only an hour every single week. And yes, we have college kickoff eve every Friday. But that is college football centric. There's not really a lot of time to talk about the NFL. And maybe we're doing a disservice to the action that has happened in the NFL. But it is what it is. We just can't get to everything in an hour plus every single week. If we had the automation and we had the staff, maybe we'd actually be able to put on a full-fledged production. This ain't ESPN, folks. We're doing the best that we can. But I want to start this week with Josh McDaniels. So Josh McDaniels was the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders, and he was fired, I would say, unceremoniously the other night. I say night because it was 1 o'clock in the morning, And Josh McDaniels is no longer the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. They also got rid of the offensive coordinator and they got rid of their general manager. The Las Vegas Raiders and Mark Davis are obviously cleaning house. They obviously feel that a change is needed and they made that change overnight. Let me ask you a question. What does it say about you if your boss fires you in the middle of the night and the press release comes out? in the middle of the night that says we have parted ways with our head coach and general manager. I know I wouldn't feel too great about that because it doesn't say a whole lot of good things about you. I think it's fair to say that the Raiders have massively underachieved in this season. They're three and five now. We're about at the halfway point. So if you extrapolate that out, they're going to finish somewhere with six or seven wins. I just want to say too, When Mike and I did Reading the Defense and we did our entire preview of the NFL, many people, when we talked about the AFC West, came at us talking about how the Raiders were going to surprise us and how full of crap we were because we weren't talking about the Raiders enough. Let me ask you, how are you feeling about the Raiders now? Do you feel like this is an organization that has it together? Do you feel like this is a team that's all of a sudden going to make a playoff run? The answer to that is no, folks. The Raiders do not have it. Here's why I advocate for this particular firing. I love Josh McDaniels. I've loved him ever since he was a New England Patriot. And I feel like as an offensive coordinator, he is an above average, if not elite offensive coordinator. But this is the second time now that he has been given a head coaching gig. And what have we seen? He was like 11 and 23 in Denver and 9 and 16 here in Las Vegas or whatever the record is. The point is the record sucks. Josh McDaniels as a head coach just doesn't have it. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with being a great coordinator. There's nothing wrong at being good at something that is not being the head guy. Josh McDaniels just to me is not head coach material. I don't know why. 
The personnel moves were questionable at best outside of Devontae Adams. He was handed a playoff team. The Raiders went 10-7 and the year before. Now that year, they fired John Gruden. They had the Henry Rugg situation. And they turned over from their interim head coach, who, by the way, brought them to the playoffs. Just want to point that out. So they bring in Josh McDaniels, who gets a second look as a head coach. And they also not only give him a playoff team, but they give him Devontae Adams, who's one of the best, if not the best receiver in the entire NFL. Devontae Adams. And Derek Carr at that point in time was not what he is now with the Saints. He still had some juice left in him. And in my opinion, with Josh Jacobs, they had an offense that should have been able to produce. And they didn't. They looked terrible last year. Appreciably worse than what he was handed. When you are handed a playoff team and it's not gutted as a rebuild, you are expected to make the playoffs. Josh McDaniels did not do that. Fast forward to this year. Questionable moves. They get rid of Derek Carr, who honestly, in hindsight, is probably washed. They bring in Jimmy Garoppolo. Nothing against Jimmy Garoppolo, but at this point in time, you know exactly what you're going to get out of Jimmy G. And this is no Kyle Shanahan offense, by the way. The team at times has looked fine. They crushed my Patriots because the Patriots are not very good. So that doesn't really tell you anything about the Raiders. But in the biggest moments, more specifically or more recently, this game against the Lions in which Jimmy G missed throw after throw after throw, some of which was Devontae Adams with a step or just completely and blatantly wide open. And they couldn't get it done against the Lions, who are a great football team. This is an organization that is a mess. And the reason it is a mess is because it is run poorly from the top down. I've never owned a football team. I don't have to own a football team to see that this is incompetent management. We've all seen incompetent management. Hell, we might even at one point in our life been incompetent management. Mark Davis does not run this organization the way that his dad did. He just doesn't. Al Davis was about just win, baby. And for the most part, he lived up to that mantra. Mark Davis does not do that. The personnel decisions that they make, the reason why they choose the people that they do to represent them on the football field is flawed because they don't get great value when they draft. They don't make really good choices when it comes to personnel moves and trades. Again, the Devontae Adams trade was great, but why trade for him if you're not going to utilize him? He could be killing it somewhere else. Just about any other elite team in the league, he'd be killing it right now. Can you imagine if he was a chief? Patrick Mahomes would throw him the ball 18 to 19 times a game, and that would be the floor for how many times he would get it. And the Raiders are misusing him. They're a mess. Antonio Pierce is going to take over as head coach, and I totally wish him well. Even though he was on those Giants team that beat the Patriots, I don't hold any grudges. You always like to see somebody, for the most part, that gets that step up. You want to see them succeed. Antonio Pierce has a really tough road ahead of him. But it's kind of a win-win if you think about it. If you really think about it, Antonio Pierce has given this team, at 3-5, and five, are there any expectations? You're starting Aiden O'Connell, who is a rookie. So you're not expecting him to light things up. He wasn't a first-round draft pick. It's questionable as to whether he'll actually be anything in the league, but you have to figure out if you have something with him. So he's going to have a rookie quarterback, a team that's 3-5. and five. Devontae Adams is just not happy. They've already passed the trade deadline, so they can't get rid of him. But he probably doesn't want to be in Las Vegas long-term. So there's really not any expectations of Antonio Pierce. He's going to get to coach this team. They're probably not going to be any good. But if he does turn them around and they do make the playoffs, 
he'll probably be in line for a head coaching gig, maybe even with the Raiders. I don't think it's going to happen because I think the last time this happened, they didn't sign the interim coach who brought them to the playoffs under all that circumstance. But I think at this point, though, is the Raiders are going to look for the high splash guy. And Jim Harbaugh may be available. But there's a lot of names that are going to circulate with this job. Now, my question to you, if you're watching or listening at home, if you want to call in 703-718-6314 is the number to call or text, is the Raiders job a coveted job? Is it something that some of these young coaches would want? Now, there's only 32 jobs in the entire league. I get that. But is it the kind of job that attracts some of the best candidates? Or is it going to be just because it's open? There's probably going to be a few NFL vacancies this offseason, but the Raiders are already a vacancy. They're not going to fill it midseason. We will find out in the offseason. But I will say that right now, the way that this organization is run, this, to me, is not an attractive job. It's a dumpster fire. And they're probably going to gut this thing and start all over again. And think about that. John Gruden was given 10 years, $100 million, knowing that they were going to be moving to Vegas. He was given a grace period. Everything that happened with the commander stuff and all the investigation, fine. He wasn't fired for football. But I think they were headed in that direction because John Gruden himself was not doing a great job of adapting to today's game. So they bring in a guy who has already been a head coach, assuming, okay, he didn't do that great the first time. He had a second stint with the Patriots, won some Super Bowls. He made Mac Jones look exceptional in his rookie year, really, if you think about it by rookie standards. So let's go get this guy. He just didn't work out. He's not head coach material. He's offensive coordinator material. I guarantee you that he'll be an offensive coordinator somewhere. Probably not in New England, but somewhere. He'd make a great offensive coordinator. Imagine what he could do with Justin Fields. Imagine what he could do with C.J. Stroud or guys like that. Guys coming out of this draft. There's a lot of talent that could be coming out here. Imagine if he's handed Caleb Williams, of all people. Could do a lot of great things. He's just not a great head coach in this league. The Raiders, to me, are a poorly run organization, and I think you're seeing it. You're seeing it manifest on the field. You're seeing it manifest in the manager's offices. It's just a poorly run organization, and having just moved to a new city, you've got to get it together because you cannot afford to be bad and be mismanaged this whole time. So Josh McDaniels, you deserve to get fired, unfortunately. I don't want or wish this on you, but the results are there. The proof is in the pudding. The Raiders need a complete overhaul, and we're going to find out at the end of this offseason how they actually fare. And going into next season, there'll be hope again because hope always springs eternal. Let's move on to the NFL. So the trade deadline has come and gone, as I said, and a lot of teams had evaluated themselves heading into this weekend as they should be doing. You're almost halfway through the season, so I feel like at this point many teams kind of know what they are and know what they need. One thing that you don't expect is you don't expect there to be a catastrophic injury heading into the trade deadline. You kind of expect things to be on the up and up, and you hope that you're going in with the healthiest team possible. The Vikings had had a little bit of a resurgence. They started out very slow, 0-3. Since that time, though, have been 4-1, and and Kirk Cousins had been having one of his best statistical seasons of all time, even with Justin Jefferson not in the lineup being injured. And now that contract situation is, of course, floating in the air. Kirk Cousins had led this team back to a 500 record. He got hurt in this last week's game, and it sucks because he tore his Achilles. He is out for the season. And it sucks even more 
for the Minnesota Vikings because now you're in this place where the trade deadline is here and you need something now. You know that you need something and you don't have a lot of time to evaluate. You don't have a lot of time to work and negotiate. You've just got to get something. I just want to say this, though, before we get to evaluating this trade. Kirk Cousins gets a lot of crap for being who he is. He gets a lot of crap for being what I call a plain white bread guy. Nothing wrong with that. He is who he is. He's comfortable with who he is. He gets a lot of crap for being a not great statistical quarterback in prime time. Doesn't win a lot in prime time. He gets a lot of flack for not making a lot of risky throws. He's a little bit more conservative. Stays close to the vest. But he still puts up great numbers. His team, he's been on some great teams. That Vikings team last year should have been better than they were. And you have to ask yourself, why did they take a 13-win season and lose to the Giants at home in the playoffs? I don't know. Any team on any Sunday on any given day can beat any team. So it was all of that narrative on Kirk Cousins. I don't know. I was one of those people who thought that Kirk Cousins was kind of a joke. He's lame, he's white, all of those things about him. But after watching the documentary Quarterback on Netflix, I got a deeper appreciation for who Kirk Cousins was, not only as a quarterback, but as a human being. And I appreciate Kirk Cousins. I'm rooting for Kirk Cousins. And seeing him get hurt, it kind of sucks because I think that they were in this position, 0-3. Everybody thought that they were gone. Everybody thought they were down and out. And he was bringing this team back without Justin Jefferson. And now you are in a position where this could be a great redemption story. People think that you're dead. They think that you're going to get traded. And boom, here you come. You come right back. And I love everything about this story. And it sucks that he hurt himself. But if you want to know anything about Kirk Cousins, and you can go look this up on Twitter or any other social media account, that night after he tore his Achilles, he still attends a kid's trick-or-treat thing with the Minnesota Vikings. That's awesome. I keep telling people that athletes who have this platform, who have the ability to make influence and change lives, they should be using it as often as possible. And I think that Kirk Cousins embodies that. I think that he does that. And I think it's awesome where your year is over. You don't know what your career holds now because many people think that you're going to be jettisoned from the Vikings at some point. And you have a lot that you could be thinking about, a lot that you could feel bad about yourself for. And instead, he goes and does his obligation and still is a great guy. I think that's an awesome thing. We should be rooting for more players like that. Okay, sure. Maybe he doesn't do everything that you think he should do on the football field. He's a damn good football player. He's a damn good quarterback. And I still contend that many teams would kill for him. If the Jets had him, they'd be good. They would be good. He's not Aaron Rodgers, but he's also not Zach Wilson. So keep that in mind. So now what do the Vikings do, though, with an injured quarterback situation? They cannot survive with their backup, who is a rookie, and they needed to find some stopgap to maybe, maybe keep the wheels on this thing. So they call up the Arizona Cardinals and they ask for Josh Dobbs. The Arizona Cardinals are in full tank mode, in my opinion. Kyler Murray was a healthy scratch last week. Josh Dobbs has still played. And so basically the Cardinals say, yeah, you can have him. They get a seventh round pick for him. Basically got him for free. A seventh round pick is nothing. I understand that Brock Purdy was Mr. Irrelevant, but a seventh round pick is nothing. Mostly, if you want to know, draft capital is really nothing. It depends on how high the draft pick is and all that. And yes, if you get rid of too many draft picks in rounds three through five or three through six, you're losing opportunities to create depth for your football team. That I understand. Seventh round pick, though, they basically gave him to him for free. Here's the thing about Josh Dobbs. Is he elite? Absolutely not. Is he great? Probably not. Is he good? Debatable. 
He's serviceable, though. He's more serviceable than a rookie quarterback is going to be. And the Vikings are looking at themselves saying, what could we do if we get serviceable quarterback play? Because they're 500. They're not out of it yet. They're not 2-6 and six or 1-7. and 3-5 and five is even kind of a pushy record to have to think that we can still do something. They're 4-4, four and four, having won four out of their last five and actually beaten some pretty decent teams to get there in prime time. Josh Dobbs has played really, really hard for the Arizona Cardinals. They brought him in in August, made him the starter, and he said he didn't know anybody's name. He barely knew the playbook. And they threw him out there. They threw him out there in a move that let you know, we do not want to win this season. And okay, that's fine. Josh Dobbs went out there and played his ass off. He played his ass off. And that team has been playing their ass off. They don't, they're not talented. Nobody's expecting them to win. But they beat the Dallas Cowboys. And they beat him good. That's a game that the Dallas Cowboys always lose every year. But Josh Dobbs made that happen. Again, he's not good. He's not great. He's not elite. But he's serviceable. And that's what they need right now. They need something. Because they believe that in that division, and with the wild card situation where it is, that they can make a run. And good for them. They did a very low-risk move for nothing. They basically cost them nothing. And so Josh Dobbs is going to go there, and he's going to be welcomed with open arms by this team because they were feeling it. Justin Jefferson will come back. He'll have better weapons to throw to than he did in Arizona. You never know. A lot of people are shitting on this guy, saying that he sucks, he's no good, and maybe that's the case. But again, there's a rookie quarterback that they weren't planning on starting. They have no chance with that. Zero chance. It's not fair to the rook, really. So they bring in Josh Dobbs. And if Josh Dobbs doesn't do the job, then you can bring the rookie in. Because at that point, if Josh Dobbs doesn't do it, then you know that the team is not very good and you need to start thinking about next year. But at the trade deadline, halfway through the season, many teams still feel like they're in it. And the Vikings obviously do. So I think it's a decent move. Because again, they didn't give up a lot for him. The Cardinals could have asked for more. They didn't. Cardinals don't care. They may or may not start Kyler. Who knows? But all I know is that Kyler Murray will be on the market next year. Kirk Cousins may be on the market next year. But as far as the Vikings are concerned this year, they're not quite sure whether they're buyers or sellers. So they went out and did something reasonable. And you can't really fault them for that. I do wonder, though, how much will this affect Justin Jefferson's contract situation? Because his contract situation is kind of up in the air. A lot of people assume that he doesn't want to be in Minnesota because they were losing Kirk Cousins wasn't playing or wasn't getting him the ball, I guess, at the clip that people thought that he should. I think that Justin Jefferson really likes Kirk Cousins. And I think that if the money is right, he's going to stay wherever it is that the money is right. At the end of the day, though, I think that Justin Jefferson is going to get paid a lot of money. The Vikings are obviously incentivized to keep him around as long as possible. He's going to get paid, folks. So just let him go get paid somewhere, and he'll end up playing wherever the money is best. And the situation is best. What we don't know about Justin Jefferson yet is if he is a guy who values winning more than the actual contract. In a sport like that where it's so violent, you should go out and get your money any way that you can, period. I didn't like the Deshaun Watson contract, but I can't fault him for signing it or asking for it. Why not? This is a sport in which these franchises will throw you away at the drop of a hat. Ask Kyler Murray that. Kyler Murray, who was a first-round draft pick by Cliff Kingsbury, and now, he's probably not going to be a Cardinal next year. Who knows what's going to happen with his, his trajectory? We don't know. So a lot of things can change. But I don't think that this changes anything about Justin Jefferson. I do think it's worth watching, though, if the team completely tanks from here on out. Jefferson may not be incentivized to come back as quickly. 
maybe thinking in business terms. I got to make sure I save myself. So let's watch that and see what happens. But other teams that made some splashes in the trade deadline. This wasn't exactly like a crazy trade deadline, but there were a lot of teams before. Now, a little disclosure, I was going to record this a day prior. I'm glad that I didn't because a lot of the trades would have actually been done by the time I recorded this. So now I have the full breadth of trades in front of me. But as I was preparing for this episode and as I was preparing for the show, I was thinking, what teams are in need of something right now? Good teams are in need of something right now. We all know that the bad teams should be incentivized to dump anything that they can to look toward the future. But the good teams, and the Vikings I don't consider a good team. I think that they're a team that is sort of in that purgatory. But good teams know what they need. And the 49ers are always a team and a squad that seems to always, or at least lately, made the move that gave them an edge. And so this time, they went out into the trade market and knew they needed one thing. Now, I think that they need more because I think that at quarterback, they have some questions. They have some injuries on offense with Debo, of course. But defensively, they needed some edge rush. They needed somebody to compliment Nick Bosa on that defensive line. And they went out and did it. The Washington Commanders, after losing to the Eagles this weekend, decided, we're done. We're going to get what we can for some of these young players and see what we can do, probably with a new head coach. They obviously have Sam Howell. I think that they're going to stay with him. So Chase Young is a guy that they get rid of. He's a guy who comes from Ohio State. I'll be honest with you, has a very high ceiling, but hasn't been able to stay on the field. This year, he's been healthy. He's had a good season, a resurgent season. And they were able to get him for a third round pick, I believe, which is just, it's kind of insane. Again, I understand that there is value in rounds three through six, especially if you're doing drafting correctly. But how many teams are doing drafting truly correctly? I would say not many, because I just think that the evaluation is hard. But all I know is that a third round pick for a guy that could absolutely have a huge impact on the defensive line and make them a formidable force for a lot of these teams that aren't the Eagles who don't have these ridiculous offensive lines, that's a way you bolster your squad at the trade deadline without giving up too much. They didn't mortgage the farm. They didn't have to give up what they gave up for Christian McCaffrey last year. So I think they did a great thing. And if their health comes back and Brock Purdy is able to right his own ship, the 49ers are going to continue to be a great team, even though they've had this three-game skid. So I thought that was a great trade. The Bills obviously had needed some help defensively. And so they end up going and getting Razul Douglas from the Packers. And they didn't give up a whole lot for him either. Again, it depends on how you feel about draft capital. But they knew they weren't going to be able to survive with the injuries that they have on their defense. And even though their offense is capable of putting up a lot of points, you still need that defense that's going to be able to get stops when you need it. And I thought the Bills did a very reasonable thing, shoring up their secondary. And I thought that was a good move. Same thing with the Eagles. The Eagles basically swap safeties with the Titans, and the Titans know that they're gone. We don't know what's going to happen with Mike Vrabel. We know that Tannehill's probably out. Will Levis is in. And so they decide to swap, and the Eagles get Kevin Byard. And I think that's a great move because they're not going to pay him in Tennessee. He's going to go to the Eagles, maybe win a Super Bowl there, maybe be incentivized to stay. If not, he's going to get a big contract somewhere else when you play for a great team in the spotlight, make some big plays in a playoff run. Always a great thing. So the Eagles do something reasonable. They shore up something that they know that they need help with. And again, good teams continue to get better within the margins. You don't have to do this huge splash. Last year, they got McCaffrey, the 49ers did. They didn't have to do that. Last year, the Eagles went and got A.J. Brown. Not at the trade deadline before in the offseason, but still, it's an upgrade, a massive upgrade. And maybe you could say that the 49ers did that, but is Chase Young really this massive upgrade? He's a necessary upgrade. It's a big difference there. And again, 
the Eagles just continue to get better and try to build upon what they have from last year heading into this year. The Giants, of course, know that they're out of it, and so they trade defensive lineman Leonard Williams to the Seattle Seahawks, who are still very much in it. The Giants are a complete mess, a dumpster fire, and why keep a guy that you know that you're not going to re-sign? Very smart move. I want to talk about a franchise that is not smart. Now, I did a lot of dumping on the Las Vegas Raiders earlier in this episode, and I think it's fair. The Chicago Bears, equally as much of a dumpster fire as the Las Vegas Raiders, but in different ways. This is now the second year in a row that the Chicago Bears have traded for assets coming to them with high draft picks. So they trade for Montez Sweat from the Commanders, who again, Commanders doing the smart thing, getting rid of guys that they know are going to give them something in return. And the Bears, I think, give up third round pick or something. Why? The Bears are not in this. Justin Fields is hurt. They're starting their backup quarterback, who we know has a good arm, but is he really going to do anything this year? Probably not. The Bears are not in a place where they should be adding pieces like that for that kind of a price. Come on. This is a poorly run organization. From the coaching, from the GM, everything. It's just weird. It's weird. If you're a Chicago Bears fan today, shout out to you, Ryan Leskis, you've got to be scratching your head. What the hell are they doing? And why are they doing it? Chase Claypool is no longer there. Montez Sweat is not going to be there either. So why did you do it? Imagine if you are the GM for the Commanders. Hell, maybe Magic Johnson even answered the damn phone. And the GM for the Bears calls and says, hey, we want Montez Sweat. We'll give you a third round pick. Sign me up. Sign me up because that's probably the best thing that they're going to get from a team that absolutely doesn't need it. It's going to be a high draft pick because the Bears are going to be bad. So that third round pick is going to be high in the third round next year. Just crazy. I just don't get it. And you want to know why teams are not good over long stretches of time? It's this kind of stuff. When you're trading for guys you don't need. The Bears should be giving other people their players because they're no longer in the game. But no, they're going to add people. I just, I don't get it. I 100% don't get it. It's the craziest thing. I laughed. And Bears fans are in for a world of hurt because if Fields is not the guy, now they've got this defensive lineman that they're not going to sign. They've given away draft picks. None of it makes sense. Make it make sense. I just, I don't understand it. Matt Eberflus, is he going to be there? Who's going to be the coach? Jim Harbaugh? Ryan Day? I don't know. Ryan Day could be out of a job. Who knows? All I know is that the Bears did something really dumb at the trade deadline. But this is what you can take away from the trade deadline. The bad teams, for the most part, did what they had to do. They gave away their assets or they traded away their assets to get something for them. The good team shored up where they needed help and the Bears just did whatever the hell they want because Bears going to bear, I guess. And that's why they're going to be bad this year, why they're going to be bad next year. It's going to be a while before we see the Chicago Bears sniffing the playoffs. You can count me on that one. Let's get away from the NFL for a little bit. And I want to congratulate the Texas Rangers for winning the 2023 World Series. Coach and I a few weeks ago talked about the fact that baseball as far as the fan perspective, is a regional sport. I think that that's a fair thing to say. Now, a lot of baseball people will come at me, and they have, and said, what are you talking about? You don't know what you're talking about. Baseball is as beloved as it has ever been. And I think that in the small circles in which people care about baseball, and let me be clear, I am one of those people. I do still like to watch baseball. But over time, as life gets busier, as we get older, and as let's just face it, no matter how old you are, your attention span is getting shorter and shorter because we have been conditioned to have a short attention span 
A lengthy baseball game is harder to watch on a daily basis until you get to the playoffs and when the playoffs are actually very exciting. Unfortunately for Major League Baseball this year, the playoffs really weren't exciting up until you had some seven-game LCSs and a World Series that was kind of underwhelming. By the numbers, this was the lowest-watched World Series, I believe, of all time, and it shouldn't be an indictment on the players or the teams that are involved. Texas, the Rangers, and of course the Diamondbacks in Arizona, Phoenix, these are markets that nationally, in a sport that is not nationally recognized the way that it used to be, are just not going to move the needle. Baseball has a hard enough time moving the needle nationally with teams that actually are polarizing. I think the Astros do that, the Dodgers might do it, Yankees, Red Sox, Phillies would have done it. Other than that, though, there's not a lot of teams that, while they're exciting, and probably the future of the sport are not going to make people feel a certain way about this sport. They're not going to make people tune in who are just sitting around on a Thursday night thinking, oh, the World Series, now let me tune that in. Must watch television. Should the World Series be must watch television? Yeah, I wish it was. I wish baseball mattered the way that it did 20 years ago, 30 years ago when it was baseball's pastime. It was America's sport. It's not America's sport anymore. But that being said, the Texas Rangers did something incredible, and they won their first World Series in, I believe, 63 years. As a Red Sox fan, I can relate to this to an extent. I've not been alive that long, obviously, but the Red Sox, having gone 86 years without winning a World Series, I can relate to the dynamics that take place within a fan base when it has been that long. Now, the difference is... The Red Sox had won World Series way, way back, 1918 prior. The Texas Rangers have been around 63 years as a franchise, never won a World Series. And so this is the first time they've come close. I believe they appeared in back-to-back -back World Series 2010, 2011, had some really tough losses, I believe, to the Giants, and of course, the David Freeze World Series with the Cardinals. And they finally get over the hump here. And that fan base has something to celebrate for the first time in 63 years. There have been a lot of great players that have come through Texas, Juan Gonzalez, Pudge Rodriguez, Alex Rodriguez, to name just a few. There's a lot of players that have played there over the years that are probably good enough that they should have won a World Series by now, but they didn't. And the Texas Rangers have finally done that with this team that did something in the playoffs that I know is not necessarily unprecedented, but it's just incredible. They went 11-0 on the road in the playoffs. For a team that was one loss away from just completely missing the playoffs at all, just incredible to me. Two years ago, my stat of the week was in 2021, they lost 102 games. 102. There's 162. They went 60-102 and 102 two years ago. And this year, they're World Series champions. Doesn't matter what their regular season record was. Doesn't matter at all. You make it in, and you see what happens. And the Texas Rangers made short work of just about every team, never lost a game on the road, took four games from Houston in the LCS. And yeah, that series went seven, but the divisional series was a complete wash. This World Series was a complete wash too. The Rangers pretty much had it in tow until game two, except in game two. And if you look at this team, the rebuild started two years ago when they signed a bunch of guys. Now they signed Marcus Simeon, of course. They signed John Gray, Corey Seager, who was the MVP of the World Series, coming from, I believe, the Dodgers, who had played in some really big games for them, especially in the 2020 World Series, even though that was a shortened season. And the joke was that he had played more games in Arlington than the Rangers had actually played 
in the World Series there because he had played in Arlington at that stadium during 2020, which is when they were having neutral site games, which was a little odd. And of course, over time, they signed Jacob deGrom, who was not a part of this World Series run at all, having been injured again. I think the key signing for me, though, was Nathan Navaldi, a former Red Sox great in the 2018 season. That 2018 Red Sox team was amazing, and Nate Navaldi was one of those players that you just couldn't help but love because in the playoffs, he came through in the most clutch moments. And I think that's an awesome thing. It's an awesome trait that you want to have with this team. And they obviously trade for Max Scherzer this year. And they have a young core of talent. Ardolis Garcia is awesome. Jonah Heim, Evan Carter. All these guys were contributing. And that's what you see in the World Series. The teams that win the World Series get the most clutch play. They get guys who get the hits when you need them, who get the outs when you need them on the mound. And I'm sure I'm leaving out a bunch of people. So if you're a Rangers fan, I'm not leaving them out because I intentionally am leaving them out. They have a lot of really good players. But I think the one thing they did is they bring in Bruce Bochy. Now, Bruce Bochy retired in 2019 from managing baseball, three-time World Series champion with the San Francisco Giants. Obviously, was the Padres coach before that, took them to the playoffs. They've kind of not done a whole lot since then, despite spending so much money. You bring in a veteran guy like that in a sport that is very much dominated by analytics. It just is. People will tell you that you can have a computer manage a baseball team and that baseball team would be successful. But Bruce Bochy, for the combination of players that they had, was the perfect temperament for this team, a veteran, seen everything, won at the highest level of the sport, had some time off. They're not asking him to come in here and be the fiery guy. He's exactly what they needed. And he's now put himself in a place where he is one of the winningest coaches of all time with four World Series titles. And you have to start asking yourself, is he one of the greatest managers ever? An argument certainly could be made. But the combination of all these things come together and the Rangers win. And they beat a Diamondbacks team that is very similar, if I'm being honest, just lacking some of those guys that they brought in, like a Corey Seager in free agency, and obviously trading for guys like Max Scherzer. And Scherzer didn't really do a whole lot in the lead-up. But the Arizona Diamondbacks have a really exciting young core. Corbin Carroll is going to be great. And a lot of those guys in that team are great. They just could not get it done when they needed to. In game five, when you're getting that kind of start from Zach Gallen and you're 0 for 9 with runners in scoring position, it's just not your night. It's just not your series. But they're going to be back. They, too, like the Rangers, were one loss away from missing the playoffs. It doesn't matter, though. 90 wins versus 84 wins, none of that matters. Once you get to the fall classic, it's all about can you get the outs? Can you get the hits? And the Rangers did that, and they celebrated last night as we're recording this as World Series champions. What their outlook will be for next season, I don't know. All I know is that when you win a World Series, it's tough to win a second one. It's really, really tough, but they have a lot of young guys. They clearly have a great front office with Chris Young at the GM position, making a lot of the right moves, making a lot of big splashes in the free agency market. We'll see what they do this offseason. Scherzer probably won't be back. He might be, but I don't think he's going to be Max Scherzer. And is DeGrom going to be able to stay healthy? I'm not sure. But the mantra over there, and Chris Young will tell you, can never have enough pitching. So they're going to be in the free agent market, making some trades if they have to. And I think they're going to be a contender for next year. But congratulations to the Rangers. Congratulations to Ranger fans. It's a long time coming. And you know what? Iceman and coach, we salute you. 
Moving on to a sport that we don't talk about here very often, but we do talk in length on the Cornerman, which is one of the sideshows here for INC Sports. But I want to talk heavyweight boxing for a little bit. Tyson Fury right now is one of the heavyweight champions of the world. He holds a couple of those belts, and Alexander Usyk holds some of the other ones. It's not a unified division. Very rarely is there a unified division in boxing anymore. But Tyson Fury is probably the biggest name in heavyweight boxing right now. Some will tell you that he's one of the best heavyweights of all time. I am not one of those people. I think that people today, when they evaluate boxers, are doing it, I don't want to say incorrectly, but I think that they're looking for some of the wrong things and they're misremembering or just plain don't know about things that happened in the 80s and 90s when you could make the argument that that was the glory days of heavyweight boxing. Even before then, you talk about your Ali's, you talk about your foreman's, a different time. Joe Frazier, different time. And those guys were different. And Tyson Fury, where does he stand up in the heavyweight ranks? Maybe we'll talk about that in the cornerman one day. But Tyson Fury has had chances to unify the division and has decided not to. And this is this is really a symptom in boxing of a larger problem in that there's no governing body. People are not being forced to take fights, really. And you can duck a guy for a paycheck. I'm not saying that Tyson Fury is ducking Usyk because they are scheduled or were scheduled to fight in December. But he decides to take this fight of Francis Nagano, who is an interesting story coming out of UFC, who a lot of people will say he broke free from the Dana White mold of what he has done to UFC fighters. And traditionally, that has been keeping his thumb down on a lot of these fighters, signing them to these like 10 fight contracts. You are pretty much for lack of a better term, a slave to Dana White in the fight game. And Francis Nagano said, I'm not going to do that anymore because I believe that my earning power can still happen outside of UFC, that I can overcome what you think is you have over me. So they signed this mega fight with Tyson Fury and Francis Nagano, who has nothing to lose in this fight at all because there's a payday coming that's going to be more than he would have made with UFC. But this fight gets made and the lead up to it was pretty benign, I think. Although a couple things that I took away from that, the biggest thing was Tyson Fury. Now, Tyson Fury is a guy who knows how to sell a fight. That I will give him. He's a great wordsmith, very similar to Ali in that fashion, but nowhere near as talented, obviously, in in the word game. But he knows how to sell a fight. The fight game is dirty. It always has been. It's been the underbelly, the, the sewer of promoting any type of sport, any type of matchup. It's the only place in sports where we can still do things racially and other things and because it's just where it is. And for some reason, it is something that it's unspoken that you can do this. So Tyson Fury in the lead up has done what you kind of expect Tyson Fury to do, which is to lean into the, well, I'm a boxer, I'm the heavyweight champion, and he's not a boxer. He's an MMA guy. I'm a pure fighter. But also not taking the fight seriously, not training for the fight saying that he trained on like burgers and brews or whatever combination of words he used to basically tell everybody, including his opponent, I don't take you seriously. Many people thought that maybe that was just a tactic, just Tyson being Tyson. Tyson Fury has always been a big fighter. If you remember when he rose to the heavyweight ranks earlier in his career, he then had to forfeit the belt because of depression and alcohol abuse or substance abuse of some kind. And he ballooned out. He was a huge guy. He lost all that weight, made a comeback. He's now one of the best heavyweights or 
one of the heavyweight champions of the world. And he's always been a bigger guy. He's always been a heavier guy. He's tall as hell. He's like 6'7". So he's a big dude. And Francis Nagano comes into this fight taking it very seriously because he knows that this is a huge opportunity for him. This is the first big car that he's been on, first big fight that he has had since breaking away from UFC. and He's going to make the most of it. We now know the results of this fight, obviously, and if you haven't seen the fight, I'm going to spoil it here, but Tyson Fury ends up winning by decision at the end, and I disagree with it wholeheartedly. I think that the decision was given to him to make sure that the heavyweight champion doesn't take a loss because I think that that really, really hurts their negotiating position for when they're trying to make this Usyk fight happen. But Francis Nagano came in there prepared, and he outboxed, who is supposedly one of the best boxing heavyweights of all time. Tyson Fury did not take this seriously. He even had what seemed to me like a blatant elbow against Nagano in this fight. Tyson Fury got knocked down by a guy in his first ever pure boxing match. That does matter. When you train for MMA, you're training for a litany of things. Takedowns, kicks, punches. It's a different ballgame. Boxing, it's all footwork. It's all punching. It's outthinking your opponent. So is MMA to an extent, but you have to worry about a lot of different things. I've been training for boxing for the last seven years. I'm not saying I'm an expert, I'm not. But having trained and been trained by a real fighter, I know what goes into the preparation. And what these guys prepare for over their fight camp is way more than what I do in my free time. I can only imagine what goes into a fight camp at that level. And so Francis Nagano comes in there through a full fight camp, having never gone through a real boxing match, and honestly takes it to the heavyweight champ in a way that should be embarrassing for the heavyweight champ. And I ask you, what does that say about the state of heavyweight boxing today? And to a larger extent, what does that say about boxing today? It says a lot and not anything good. Tyson Fury single-handedly made heavyweight boxing a laughingstock because he is their representative. Most people know who Tyson Fury is if they have a tangential awareness of boxing. They don't know who Alexander Usyk is because he's not a guy, unfortunately, that moves the needle despite the fact that he's very talented, cleaned out cruiserweight, came up, and is starting to clean out heavyweight. But Tyson Fury made a mockery of this fight. He made a mockery of his opponent. And by extension, he's made a mockery of boxing. And I just won't stand for that. I'm tired of these people coming into boxing, which is a sport that has had a huge history and lineage of professionalism and champions that really embodied what it meant to be a champion. And you've got these YouTubers and rappers and celebrities coming in here and treating boxing like it's a joke, like it's easy. It's dangerous. It can kill you. And we all know that. We watch boxing and combat sports for the crashes, just like NASCAR. And so Tyson Fury now has made it so that boxing, which has already had a tough go of it from an attendance standpoint, from a pay-per-view standpoint and from getting these fights off the ground, and now your heavyweight champion gets embarrassed. And all the love in the world of Francis Nagano, unbelievable performance, deserved to win that fight. He deserved to win that fight. And I hope he gets a chance for the title. That, of course, is dependent on whether Fury can beat Usyk, which is happening in February now instead of December. So Tyson Fury, by acting like a complete jackass, and not taking this seriously has set back the timeline of the heavyweight division. And it's just, it sucks. Tyson Fury sucks. I'm here to say that. I do not like Tyson Fury as a fighter. I'm done. 
I'm done with him as a fighter. I'm fully behind the heavyweight division being led by somebody else, and I'm fully behind finally getting to the point where heavyweight boxing matters. The big boys matter. They used to. When you were the heavyweight champion of the world, you walked into a restaurant, and man, they would clear tables for you. It's no longer that way anymore, and it's because of crap like this, which is why it's happening. It sucks. It just absolutely sucks. What did you think of that fight, though? Did you watch it? Do you agree with me? 703-718-6314 is the number to do that. Okay, last topic on the list before we get to stat of the week. Rest in peace to Bob Knight. Bob Knight is, for my generation anyway, I came in at the tail end of Bob Knight's career, obviously. I was born in 1983, which is obviously when he was in the heyday of his work at the University of Indiana. But Bob Knight, legendary college basketball coach, passed away at age 83 a couple of nights ago. And the sporting world, of course, is mourning the loss of, of Bob Knight, as we should. Whenever a human being dies, for the most part, I mean, if Harvey Weinstein dies, who gives a shit? But as long as you're somebody who has some semblance of humanity to you, we should mourn you. I will say this, though. Bob Knight is a complicated man. I don't think that there's much denying that fact. Bob Knight was, this is the way Bomani Jones put it once, and I think it's perfect. He was a virtuoso basketball coach and a virtuoso asshole. And I think that that's fine to say. I think that we can look at somebody and separate the art from the artist. Who Bob Knight was as a head basketball coach is maybe different than who he was as a human being. But he was obviously great at what he did. Won national championships, undefeated season. The, the results were in. He coached so many teams. He coached Michael Jordan to a gold medal in 1984. Famously told the Blazers, he's the best player I've ever coached. And the Blazers decided they didn't want him. All these different narratives, all these things, all these moments. All you got to do is go to YouTube and type in Bob Knight compilation. You're going to find him throwing a chair. I hope that my critics bury me upside down so they can kiss my ass. All that stuff. And as a basketball coach, it's undeniable that he is amongst the greatest to ever do it, period. As a human being, though, it's complicated. And in today's world, where we constantly blur those lines, it's harder and harder to look at what Bob Knight did in certain respects and ignore it. Bob Knight obviously had incidences where he choked a player, never going to condone that, and it, certainly not today. Verbally abusive is a different time. He was a different man. I've read some articles recently about him, and the one I implore you to seek out is one done by Jay Billis. And Jay Billis is obviously an analyst on ESPN. He played for Coach K. Coach K, obviously, influenced by Bobby Knight. I believe they were both together at Army. Jay Billis had a lot of things to say about being friends with Bob Knight over the years and people questioning, how could you be friends with this guy? And he got to know a different side of Bob Knight. And I think the parts of Bob Knight that he got to know were the parts that regretted his stubbornness, regretted the way that he treated people at times. And I say all of this to tell you that I've seen this in people before. Men of a certain age and of a certain generation, and maybe you're watching or listening to this and you are of that generation, and I don't say this in any way to take away from what older generations did at all. I think as we get older and as we have more information about mental health, we can go back and look at different generations and say, wow, I wish we'd known that. Men famously of his age and older 
had a hard time with emotions. It wasn't something that was passed down to them. Being a dad in the 70s, if you watch The Wonder Years, you'll see this, but being a dad, it kind of consisted of go to work, come home, hot meal on the table. You don't really get emotional with your kids. You kind of do the bare minimum with your kids. And I think Bob Knight was that kind of guy. Emotional, stubborn, didn't really handle nuance very well. If he wanted to do something one way, it was going to happen. And the way he handled the media, the way he coached his team, it's the way that he was. I think, though, if you were to go to Bob Knight at his deathbed and ask him if he could go back, would he do things differently? I think that he would. And so if you're somebody who is taking a victory lap because Bob Knight is dead, because you know that some of the things that he did as a coach were questionable from a humanity standpoint, I implore you to think a little differently. After my mom passed away, I get a different outlook on life because I think many times in life we focus too much on the mistakes that people make and in doing so, I think that we lose time with them in the now because we're so focused on being right about something. Bob Knight was not perfect in any way. As a matter of fact, the things that he did, I would never condone. I would not want my son playing for a guy like Bob Knight today. But I think Bob Knight suffers from what a lot of people in that generation suffer from, in that handling emotions was not really paramount. They weren't taught how to do it. Hell, my mom wasn't taught how to do it until she was older, in her 50s. It took a long time. It's just the way the world was. He was an old-timey coach, a throwback coach in what they call the throwback era, and he did things differently than many coaches do today. Many of the things he did would not be condoned, but it doesn't mean that he wasn't great at what he did. It doesn't mean that he deserves to have people take a shit on him in death, and his death is sad. There are people mourning his death. The players that played for him, not all of them liked him, but there are a lot of them that would do a great many things for him I think that what Bob Knight did charitably for people went under the radar, never talked about. That, to me, is a sign of a good person. We all make mistakes in life. Everybody has. You can think of one yourself if you're listening. And so to Coach Knight, I watched him coach, especially at Texas Tech when I was in college, and the guy, there was almost nobody better. You could argue that Coach K is better, but Bob Knight, what he could do, what he could see, what he could teach, it's a completely different thing than a lot of coaches today. It would be hard to do that today in NIL world and transfer portal world, but man, back then, Bob Knight was the truth. And I think he should be recognized for his greatness as a coach. Certainly can talk about the questions of his legacy, absolutely. But ultimately, I think we need to have a moment of silence and say rest in peace to Bob Knight. And we hope that wherever he is, he is in a good place coaching basketball, throwing chairs, whatever it is, and that his loved ones that are remaining can be at peace. And now, let's get to the stats. Iceman stat of the week. Obviously, every week when Coach is here, we like to add a personal flair. He does Coach's pick of the week, which we will not do this week. 
I do Iceman stat of the week. This one actually makes me laugh. So Will Smith, no, not that Will Smith. But Will Smith, the baseball player, he's a pitcher. He is a World Series champion with the Texas Rangers. Actually, as a matter of fact, he is a three-time World Series champion. The Rangers in 2023, the Astros in 2022, and the Atlanta Braves in 2021. So your baseball team better be on the old horn, old reference, but better be on the old phone talking to Will Smith's agent to get him signed to their team because it seems like he's on a little bit of a heater in winning three straight World Series for three straight franchises. My other stat that is just hilarious is that the Raiders currently are paying $80 million for John Gruden and Josh McDaniels to not coach the team. Absolutely fantastic. So that's my stat of the week this week, and I hope that you enjoyed it. Somehow we have come up to the end of this hour. It's been a very long time since I have monologued a full hour but this is a jam-packed week of sports, man. Between all everything that happened in the NFL, deaths of Bob Knight, everything that happened with the Francis Nagano fight, we left stuff out. I'm sure that we left stuff out. Hockey's happening. The NBA's happening. The in-season tournament is coming. Hopefully, we can have Matt Humphreys with Basketball U on here. But I just want to say that if you tuned in this week, I thank you so much. It's obviously great whenever anybody comes to listen or watch, if you're watching on YouTube. It means a lot to me. It means a lot to coach and everybody that contributes to INC Sports. This is something we take very seriously. It's not our full-time job, but man, I'll tell you what, we get a ton of joy from it. And I just, I'm grateful that anybody shows up to listen to this voice, whether it's mine, whether it's coaches and whoever, but we are eternally grateful. And before we get you out of here this week, I want to remind you, if you want to find the show on Instagram at Iceman and Coach, on TikTok, on Facebook, on Twitch, INC Sports is what you're going to search to find all of those. If you're watching on YouTube, a big thank you to you. If you haven't hit subscribe, please do so. Please hit like, comment, all the works. We want to keep the community engaged as much as possible. If you're listening in audio, we love you. But if you want to check out the video every now and then, don't forget to search for INC Sports on YouTube. But if you are going to listen, make sure you hit subscribe, rate, review, whatever is applicable for any of the podcast apps that you have. And please, as always, support the Matty Ice Media Network, mattyicemedia.com. The flag is right above me if you're watching the video. It's where we do a lot of other podcasting work. We're just looking to make as much entertaining content as possible. I hope this finds you well. I hope this finds you safe. And as always, this is Iceman and Coach. The opinions and viewpoints expressed on INC Sports are those of Matt Freights, Brad Powell, and their guests, and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. INC Sports is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and Brad Powell and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.